Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Yes, this morning is definitely uh, bittersweet. I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Um, like Joel said, I came here uh, three or four years ago. Uh, Dustin and I were roommates just for a, se- a semester in Bible college, and um, we just formed this inseparable bond really, really quickly and was able to be here for the last four years. And it was uh, a privilege to, to run with you guys. Um, just really quickly, I have to honor just the, the team here. Uh, I know I've said a lot of stuff privately already this week, but, but Diane and Kenny and the Smothers and Lowry's and the Taylors and the West, um, you guys have all made such an immense uh, impact on my life. And all of you guys as well. I know some of you guys I'm pretty close with, some of you guys who maybe have only talked in the hallways, but uh, I'm the person who I am today, uh, not just because of the staff, but because of the family that's here, um, the way that you guys have formed me and watching you guys worship and worshiping with you guys over the last four years. So thank you so much. Um, before we jump to the Word, I'll just give you a little bit about what I'm, what I'm doing next. Um, so you may notice that I often introduce myself as a volunteer here. That is true. In my, in my full-time job, I work in uh, startup strategy, so I work for one of the fastest-growing um, financial technology companies in Silicon Valley right now, um, doing all, all things about uh, their strategy. So uh, I have that going on fully remote. And then on the side, I have been working on uh, actually a financial app uh, with a a co-founder who's up in New York. Uh, We've been making tremendous progress. We are about to uh, try to raise money. So please be praying for us. We're we're trying to raise like $2 million um, to start building out this app and hiring engineers and all types of things like that. Um, So I'll be spending the next season of my life um, mostly based in New York. I'll spend about half the year there. Um, but also living nomadically. So I'll be uh, taking a month at, in different places. This year, I'm going to go to uh, Mexico City for a month and Colorado for a month and maybe Buenos Aires. So um, as you can tell, I have a very, very tough and difficult life. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I, this week has been an absolute whirlwind. Um, so I, uh, I can't make any guarantees of, on the quality of this message and now I have something to blame it on. I just got licensed like two seconds ago. So like, I did not know what I was doing before. I uh, just got my license, man. Uh, that's funny. When I did get my actual driver's license, I crashed my car the next day. Uh, it's like my dad is so influential in town. He, uh, the guy who like did the test for us was like, I don't think your son's ready, but we'll give him a license anyway. So the next day, I, I like rear in the car and I'm like, yeah. I wasn't ready, like turns out, <laughs> turns out he was right. Um, so I've been packing and spending time with people. Uh, so yeah, absolutely a whirlwind week. Uh, I, shortly after the sermon, I'm gonna finish packing up a few things, head to Houston um, this, this evening, and then fly out to, to New York for the next uh, three months um, tomorrow, on, on Tuesday. And then I'm back in New York later on in the fall. But uh, I always actually love going to Houston. I get to hang out uh, with my parents, with my dad. Uh, my dad's also a pastor. I think I've probably talked, to, talked about that at nauseum. But one of the things that we uh, sit down and do when I'm home is we, uh, we're either watching sports. Uh, I don't have a TV here, so we watch like Rockets and stuff like that. Or uh, we watch crime shows. And, and I love crime shows of all variety. You know, there's, um, there's cops 
which is great. That's the OG crime show. There's First 48. Uh, First 48 is awesome. Um, there's Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol <laughs> is an incredible, like, you guys laugh now, but you don't want to get run down by a seven-year-old German Shepherd called Chase in full uniform. Um, you wouldn't be laughing then. It's a great crime show. But one of my favorites is, uh, is Law & Order. Law & Order is like the OG, like 40, 40 seasons. Uh, you get both sides. You get the law. You get the order. And they all have the same characters, right? There's always like, there's like Ice-T, and he's like the tough guy that set, tries to say something smart every time. So he's like the punchline guy. Um, so, you know, he'll walk in. They're like, oh, my gosh, someone, someone got sawed in half. And then he's like, I guess no one saw that coming. And that's like kind of his thing every, every time. And then there's like, there's like the DA who's always like, the case has got to be a lot stronger. Get back out there if this is going to stick. And then there's always like these, these, um, these peripheral characters, but they're all kind of the same. There's like the one employee who can't be bothered by the fact that you're asking them about a homicide. You know, they're like sitting there, they're just moving boxes. And then the cops are like, hey, have you, se have you seen this lady? And he's like, oh, yeah, she coming around here around Tuesday. Came with a funny looking guy. Why? Something happened to her? It's like, of course, the detectives are here with tiny little pictures of her. Like, what do you mean that something happened? Um, so I, I, I love crime, which is a great segue. I love crime. So I moved to Baton Rouge for two years of my life. And that was just living in a true crime uh, city. There was always something crazy that was happening in Baton Rouge. And I, I, when I was there, I was in this program. And one of the wildest days uh, that, that we had was I lived in this program. There's like 50 guys lived in these like this two-story kind of like, it was, a little bit, it was bigger than a duplex, but it had like eight little, um, it was like a quadplex type thing. And it was 50 guys. Uh, we, we lived four to a room. Uh, there was no, we shared a kitchen. We shared collectively 50 guys, four showers, and there were no doors on any of the bedrooms. So I was there, I was, uh, at the time, it was the largest uh, youth ministry in America, and uh, I, I was there getting trained. And one of the craziest uh, things that happened one day was we came home, and there were two guys that were, that were sick. And they were sick all day. We come home, we opened up the door, and they were like, hey, this morning, we sensed a demonic spirit in the house, and we have been praying all day. And they're like, we got it from this side of the house, and we have managed to push it to that side of the house. So then they're like, can you guys, like, can you feel the difference? So people go to this side of the house and be like, oh, yeah, then go to this side of the house and be like, ooh, very dark, very dark. Um, so we're all, we're all there. So they were figuring out what to do. I was like, I'm going to read a book because this just seems like, like foolish. So I was in my room reading a book, doing what I should have done. And they all start a, a prayer meeting upstairs uh, on, the, on the evil side of the house. So they're all praying on the evil side of the house. And um, this is all secondhand account. Um, so this story is probably like 95% true. So... Uh, apparently, they were all in a circle. This sounds like the upper room experience, but I'm gonna, it's not going to go that direction. They were all in a circle. Then one of the guys falls out on the floor. Now, if you fall on the floor in charismatic circles, especially around Bible college students, I'm going to give you guys some wisdom right now. 
You fall on the floor, don't move. Don't move, just look like you're at peace with God. Just look happy. Because if you start moving, for, for about 30 seconds, they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, God is touching him. But if you keep moving, they're gonna be like, maybe that's not God. And that is exactly what happened. They were like, maybe this is not God. And they start freaking out because none of them have cast out a demon before. And this, is, this was like what they're, they're, it was. Nick was about to be the lesson for everyone. So they start shouting at him, you know, get out, get out. And, and, and Nick is there just like, just, just wiggling on the floor. No one really knows what's going on. And then the big guns come out because what we learn from the life of Jesus is that if you can't just cast them out with your words, you may have to get some physical activity involved. So they jump on top of them. And I kid you not, they open hand slap Nick and they just, get out, get out. So Nick is on the floor, head is bouncing off the floor like a basketball, trying to get it, trying to get it out. He got a mean headache for that day for sure. And uh, so they call one of the leaders. Someone's like, yo, some crazy stuff is going on upstairs. And one of the leaders comes outside. And we were like very, everything was very, very spooky because the house was haunted at this point. So one of the things we had was like a cutout Michael Jordan. And it was like a life-size cutout Michael Jordan. And they had moved him outside just in case the cutout was evil. Like just in case the cutout was the reason. So the leader comes in. He goes into my room. He peeks down when I'm on the bottom bunk, and he's like, Jarrett, what is going on? Why is Michael Jordan outside? <laughs> and this, this was the moment I had been waiting on for all of my life. And I was like, I, the, 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 my eyes did not leave the paper. Oh, yeah, Michael Jordan? I did see him a couple times today. This was my, this was my uh, law and order moment. And I was like, why? Something happened with him? <laughs> and of course, we got it all sorted out over time. There was a lot of meetings that happened in the meantime. Nick did not graduate, I don't know why. But my life is kind of marked by all of these kind of crazy stories. And I've shared a lot of them with you. I have a lot more that I'll share one of these days. But on the back end of that story, my time in Baton Rouge was not just only um, typified by crazy stories, but there was also a pretty heartbreaking story. About 10 years later, just last year, the news of what happened in that program in Baton Rouge uh, hit the national media. Fox News, um, Rolling Stones, um, the local media, uh, publications in, uh, in, in Europe and the UK uh, came out with articles detailing what they would uh, go on to call spiritual abuse that happened in that program. It's pretty detrimental. Um, very few people are in ministry that, that, that started. Um, and, and what I began to, to learn there, what I began to learn after processing all of it was that oftentimes we can... Um, we can believe the right things or the right things, but our application of it um, is faulty. The application of it is wrong. 
And I left, and honestly, I had a, def- I had a much, much better experience than most people. I had an amazing leader while I, was, while I was there that kind of shielded me from a lot of stuff. But I left, and when I got here to Baton Rouge, I was pretty damaged still. I don't think I would have known the extent of it until um, the, the last probably two years that, I, that I've been here. And, and uh, what I, I, I learned was that there were these kind of toxic ideas that I learned that are kind of uh, pervasive in Christianity. Like leaders or spiritually abusive scenarios don't kind of happen in a vacuum. They take generally common believed concepts and maybe take them to an extreme. You know, our leader would come in and, or the, the, the youth pastor of this large ministry and say, many of you guys will never have an anointing. I worked for mine. I prayed several hours a day when I was in college at ORU and I got what I needed. And, I, and, and, and you guys will probably not, not want to put in the cost to have the type of power that I, that I have in my life. Or he'd say, hey, um, you know, your heart, it's kind of, it's deceitful and wicked, and you actually don't know how to make decisions yourself. You actually can't make them all on your own, and you actually need a mentor. So let, let us help you process who you should date, how you should spend your finances, et cetera, et cetera. So what I want to do today is kind of get under the hood in the next like 15 minutes of uh, spirituality and Christianity and talk about some of these kind of undergirding things that we can often believe that can shipwreck our relationship with God, that can shipwreck our spirituality. So the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. And this is about four uh, different ways that I've changed my mind that I think can be, uh, again, popular in Christian thought. Things I've changed my mind about to find a healthier uh, perspective on God. So the very first thing, I have changed my mind about sanctification. I have changed my mind about sanctification. If you are in your Bible, um, you can turn to Isaiah 1.6 if you'd like to. Um, Isaiah 1.6, if I wrote that down correctly. And oftentimes in our spiritual journey, we have this idea of progressive sanctification. We have this idea of like, all right, I've got saved, I came, I came to Jesus, and now I'm like, I'm on this journey to uh, becoming like this person who's worthy of maybe having a purpose, this person who can have an anointing. I'm, I'm on, on this journey of becoming. The only issue with that is that that idea of progressive sanctification is not found in Scripture. Actually, what Scripture says about sanctification is that you are already sanctified and that you were sanctified on the cross. That is actually not about um, you uh, like moving towards moral excellence and trying to bootstrap your way to moral excellence, but it's actually about the fact that you have been sanctified by Christ. So we see that language in the Old Testament of consecration, and we're going to d- dig a little bit more deeply into this. I'm going to skip over Isaiah one, one or uh, Isaiah one five. Uh, this is when Isaiah um, has his vision in the, in the Lord's day, or sorry, in the year of uh, King Uriah, or Uzziah. And he says, he's like sitting in front of God um, and he sees all the angels and everyone and they're singing holy, holy, holy. And he said, it's all over. 
I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's army. The one, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I think it's funny how Isaiah, much like us, uh, he comes to the presence of God and what is the very first thing that he does and that he says? He gets into some self-condemnation and he's like, oh my gosh, I am going to die. Oh my gosh, I am completely unworthy. I cannot be here right now. And it's interesting that he's in the presence of God and he's only thinking about how he's gonna die and how unworthy he is and what God actually does is bring him further into relationship. He says, all right, I'm going to purify your, your, your mouth. I'm, I'm going to purify your heart because my sanctification is not actually about you being holy enough to be in, your, in my presence. My sanctification is actually about me wanting, wanting you to be in my presence. That I am actually drawing you closer. That I'm actually drawing you into my, into relationship with you. So what we see in the story of Isaiah is that sanctification is about being set apart for the purpose and for the presence of God. So he goes and, and then there's all the, there's all the utensils in the Old Testament that are sanctified for a special purpose and to be used in the presence of God. Fast forward this, fast forward. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, we see uh, Paul, and he was writing uh, to the church at Corinth, and he said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? What Paul is saying there is, look, you have been sanctified, that you are, 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 are that, the, that the presence of God now rests inside of you, that the presence of God is not outside of you, that the most holy place on planet is you. If you want to look around and see what the most holy place is, it's here. It's amongst us. Because what he's saying is, look, it, it, it's, you, are, you have it. That you don't have to strive for God's presence. You don't have to strive for God's purpose. And I feel like there could be people in the room right now and you're like, man, I'm just, I, I just feel like there's so much more I need to do to get God's presence. That there's so much I, more I need to do to like live out this purpose that God has me for. And, 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 and maybe one day God will pick me. But what scripture shows us is that he's already picked you. That he's already had a purpose for you that you already are worthy of his presence. Second one. So we have changed our mind about sanctification. We have changed our mind about blessing. I have changed my mind about blessing. Oftentimes when we are uh, thinking about just our lives, we can fall into this place where we say, man, I just really got to be obedient because if I'm not being obedient to God, then maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have the blessing of God on my life. Like the blessing of God is something that can kind of depart from me. But the blessing of God, uh, or sorry, uh, let me go back here. So Galatians 3.14 um, said, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that the faith we might by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he has redeemed us in order 
for the blessing that was given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So he has, he has redeemed us so that we can enter into that same covenant. So it means that God is not deciding whether he wants to reveal himself to you or not. That you have already been blessed by, by Jesus' finished work on the cross. That your blessing is not up for grabs. That your blessing is not up to be lost. It's not like the golden ticket, and if maybe if I do the right, the right or wrong thing, God's going to take it away from me. That your blessing is secure. Oftentimes we think that our obedience is maybe the thing that, that win us God's favor. That, man, I, I know I have God's favor because I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I have my quiet time. I go to church. I say. in the favor of the Lord, but God favored you on the cross. Oftentimes, we, we, we glorify obedience to a place higher than it's actually uh, seated in the scriptural text. Um, in the New Testament, it actually only talks about us being obedient once or twice. It talks about following commands, but um, in, in, the, in the Pauline literature, it only talks about um, us being obedient, far more often it talks about Jesus being obedient, that he was the obedient one who goes to the cross, that he is the one who, um, who, who followed the voice of God and made a way for us to be obedient. It's a better, um, obedience in, in the New Testament is better tr like translated as just listening closely, listening intensely, um, 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 guarding the, the word of God in your life. And that changes the narrative. Right? If, if he, instead of saying, be, be, you have to be obedient to do, to do X, Y, and Z, it's, God's just saying, just, just listen. Just be with me. It's a relational place of listening to his voice. Oftentimes we think of the words of Jesus, if you love me, then keep my commands. And I think we maybe have this thing in our minds where we always uh, paint the word of Jesus or the, or with like the worst inflections that we possibly can. Right? It's like we read, we read the Bible and we're like, man, Jesus is probably like coming to task on us. But think about what he's actually saying. He's saying, like, like what if he was, if you were asking him, like, what should I do? And he was more like, I mean, like, if you love me, then um, you, you can do my commands. Like, this is just kind of an outflow of the love that you have for me. Like, like, that's the big if that Jesus is putting here. The big modifying language is that, yeah, like, if you love me, then keep my commands. What he's actually not pointing towards is what we often hear of, hey, yeah, you got to keep my commands to prove your love for me. What he's actually pointing for is, yeah, you just, you just got to love me. Like, like, grow your love for me, nurture your love for me, and then the commands will be kept. Third, I've changed my mind about sin. About sin. I think even for uh, many of us who have received, you know, like this revelation that we talked to about a lot about the, the other side of the cross or the right side of the cross, um, we have a difficult relationship with sin. Um, and not that I'm, I'm going to condone it, but we'll talk about it shortly here. Uh, but oftentimes we have this sense that, 
that, man, if I sin, then it is going to separate me from God. That my, and, and you've heard that a thousand times, right? That's, that's what many of you guys got saved with is a theology that says um, sin separates you from God and he cannot even look at you. And, and we bring that into our relationship with God and we say, if I sin, then I will be separated from God. God illustrated this to me in one of the most provocative ways I feel like God has spoken to me over the years. I was on 35 listening to um, this lady named Brittany Howard. She's the front woman of a band called the Alabama Shakes. Um, she wrote, a, wrote an album about living life in the deep south. And I get to a song that's called He Loves Me. And I get to the chorus and she says, I know he still loves me when I'm smoking blunts. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Then she's like, he loves me when I'm drinking too much. Yes, he loves me. He doesn't judge me. And I was like, man, this is, I was like, she's, she is completely missing the point here. I was like, she's missing it. She's absolutely missing it. And then the Lord paused me and he rebukes me. And he said, well, I'm not going to remove my blessing off of your life because of sin, that I am for you, that I am chasing you down. Now, with that being said, we're not going to start a smoking section (laughs) next next week. But when the Bible talks about sin, it actually rarely talks about sin being a physical action in which we um, we need a sacrifice for. It almost always talks about sin as a power of which we need to be free from. Romans, uh, I don't know what chapter, but verse six says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our life. We are no longer slave to sins for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That we are completely set free from the power of sin. So, why is God opposed to sin if he can still love me? Why does he not want us to sin? It's in part because when we sin, it's a form of, of, of our hearts creating idols. It's our hearts saying that there's something else that we'd rather worship in that moment. And the issue with that is that idol worship actually changes our vision. Like what we see, what we gaze upon actually forms our hearts and forms our minds and, and souls. And what God is actually wanting to do when he, uh, when he wants to, to, to judge sin or when he wants to, us to, to, to cease sinning is he's saying, I want you to restore your vision of me and my goodness. I want to show you that I'm the most beautiful thing that you could actually be looking at in this moment. And then lastly, number four. I have changed my mind about God's work in my life. Now, all these things have like profoundly affected me. You can imagine um, what like while I was in Baton Rouge was such um, a strong sense of like, if you sin, you, you have this problem. And it was like, it felt, it was a contemporary church. It felt old school Pentecostal. We had, they're like, can't dye your hair. Can't, but guys can't wear skinny jeans. Like guys can't wear earrings. Yada, yada, just all types of rules like that. And what I often found was I, was actually, I could actually thrive in that scenario. I was like the A1 captain. I prayed three hours a day, um, in part because I was like, I'm going to get that anointing you said I couldn't get. <laughs> but what I, realized, what, I did, what I realized was that I took on a responsibility 
uh, for my own uh, transformation that, that Christ wasn't asking me to do. That Jesus is the one who does the formative work in our life. Now you can like go and you can get counseling, you can read books and all that stuff is great. Your life will get better if you, if you do that kind of stuff. But the only person who can form you into the image of God is Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it. You can partner with him and you are all along for the ride. You can't accelerate it. There is nothing you can do except for receive and partner with God. I love when Paul rebukes the Galatian church, mostly because I'm not on the receiving end. What he says is, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you think that what you started in the spirit that you can, that you can finish in the, in the flesh? And the thing is, Paul doesn't come and he's not like, that's just kind of a bad idea. Paul is, Paul is like, have you guys been consulting with the wicked witch of the West? Is that how you got here? Have you like been, would you guys go to New Orleans and see like a voodoo woman? And then she said that you can finish in the flesh? So what he says is no. That, 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 G, that God, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are what is doing the formative work in us, that our completion is at the pace of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are like, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm, I'm where I need to be with God and I have this like pure heart that I wanna offer him. And it's really easy to get into a place of work because I'm gonna work myself out, out of that. And what I think God might be inviting you to is to take a step and to take a pause and to say, you know, God might actually be inviting me to figure out where the life actually is, what he's actually trying to do. So you might be asking yourself at the end of all of this, like, well, then, Jarrett, what's the point? Like, Jarrett, what's next? Like, Jarrett, like, what, what, what possibly could be the thing uh, that this whole Christian life is about? So you're telling me that if I, if I do the Christian thing, it, it, like, I can't lose my blessing. That's kind of was my motivation. Well, you're telling me, like, I'm already sanctified. I'm gonna have this, like, moral ladder to climb up. And then you're telling me, like, even if I sin, that it's not like, like, yes, it will kind of destroy my life, but God will still love me, that I'm not gonna be separated from God. And you're telling me that I don't, the work isn't even my responsibility. Well, well, then, well then what is the point? What am I supposed to do? I kind of feel like you're just giving me a license to just kind of live my life in sin. And I want to reframe that a little bit. So I think I'm, I'm attempting to do is to actually give you a license to love. It's to take away all of those little things that maybe you thought that you were getting out of the relationship that God actually doesn't need you to, to do or to try to accomplish. Like there's a reason when uh, you do marriage vows, they're like, hey, you want to marry this person? Like, even if they get sick, even if they, they're broke, even if, what they're saying is like, even if there's nothing to offer, the, if they have nothing else to offer you, will you still love that person? And I think God wants to get us to a place where he's like, look, I have so much to, to offer you, but you don't have, you're, it's not your responsibility to, 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 to do it. It's not your responsibility to throw, throw the bones in. I, I just want you to see me. I don't, I don't want you to, see, to, to think about losing or gaining your blessing or this or that. 
the one thing that I need you to do is to receive love. That's it. And notice, like I'm very specific on the language. I didn't say the one thing you're supposed to do is to love God. The one thing that I need you to do, that Christ needs you to do, is to receive love from God. John, John, 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we may live through him. Verse 10, might blow your mind. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What I believe Jesus wants to do for us today is, is, is I think, inviting us to reset our gaze. I think he's inviting us to look at him because we're, we're not gonna be changed by um, our obedience. We're not changed by our guilt. We're not changed by our condemnation. The one thing he's like, just get a glance of me. Son, daughter, just, just look at me for what I am. Just a, a source of love that you don't have to do anything for. I'm inviting you into union, that you belong here, that I want to be with you. That I'm a God that is not easy, that, that's not hard to find. That I want to speak with you. That I want you to hear my voice. That God's not demanding your obedience today, but that He inspires us to follow Him by His beauty. And what God wants to get us to is a point where we say, oh my gosh, that He is just the most beautiful person. He's the most beautiful thing. I, I am in such a secure relationship, but I have just been so inspired by the beauty of Jesus that I wanna follow him. That I've been so inspired by the way that he loves me, that a king would leave heaven and come to, come to earth. That he would die on the cross just because he didn't wanna be away from me. And I'm, we are so moved by the person and by the beauty of Jesus that we're, not the same. It's impossible, it's impossible to increase your revelation of God and not be changed. And what God is inviting us into this morning is it's just that. It's just to gaze upon him and to be changed. You just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment here. I wanna give two calls. One is, if you, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is gonna come down to the altar right now. If you need prayer for anything, we wanna, we wanna pray for you. If anything in the message kinda touched your heart, you wanna, that, that you'd like someone to join in with you, then please come down. Then secondly, if you were like, I am far from God, I. I've never heard the gospel like this, and I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna, I wanna, follow, I wanna uh, follow Jesus for the rest of my days and commit myself to him. That I, I want him and his love to rule over my life.
So in a moment, I'm gonna pray here. If you fit in either of those, of those categories, you can come up and get prayer, our team is great. So I'll pray. Holy Spirit, we honor you. God, we notice, we just take a moment to notice what you're doing in our hearts. We take a moment to notice what you're doing in our lives, God. We wanna see you more beautifully than we could ever imagine. We wanna see you so beautifully that we don't feel like we're striving, that we're not, um, that we're not holding on and clinging on for dear life, but all of the mess and all of, all of the sin and all the condemnation, we just let those go. And in exchange for your love, in exchange for your gaze, in exchange for you, Lord, Jesus' name, amen and amen. Why don't you guys stand and we're just gonna worship together. If you would like prayer for any reason at all, just come up and we would love to pray for you.